Hey, this is Pastor Adam Godbold. Uh, welcome to episode one of Conversations. Please enjoy. Hey, everybody. This is Banks, and I'm sitting down with Adam and Lindsay to talk about Methodism. We don't know exactly where the conversation will go, but thanks for joining me, Adam. I thank you for talking with me, having this conversation. Yeah, we, we haven't named what these conversations will be called yet. Uh, but you wanted to talk about Methodism as it relates to the United Methodist Church. We're an independent Methodist Church, mm-hmm. and uh, what that means historically and potentially for the future, I guess, right? Uh, yes. One of, one of the, the name of our church is Faith Methodist Church, which um, um, purpose, purposefully says something, but also purposefully avoids saying something. And one of the questions that we often get asked is, are you a part of the United Methodist Church? Because that's typically what people associate with the Methodist Church. Um, obviously, United is not in our name. We are not a part of the United Methodist Church. Uh, we're actually a part of the Association of Independent Methodist Church, which is a branch of Methodism. Uh, Lindsay will will help me, um, or w- reminds me that it's not a denomination. It's actually, a, a, our church is a non-denominational church, technically, but we are part of the Association of Independent Methodists, which is a, a freely associated group of independent churches that have their own autonomy, their own structures, uh, who, uh, give freely to the association, uh, our member churches do. And we're, we are a member of the Association of Independent Methodists, um, it, so I often get asked, are you United, are you United Methodist? Um, and if we're independent Methodist, why aren't we called Faith Independent Methodist Church? And most of the churches that are part of our association do have the adjective independent in front of the, uh, the noun Methodist in, uh, in their, um, in their church names. Ours does not because it, it's kind of a, it's an important matter, but it's a, a matter we also kind of make light of. There's nothing historically independent about Methodism. Methodism is, is historically about relationships, um, and community and being, um, interdependent, so to speak, on one another in our growth in the Lord. So, we are not faith independent Methodist Church, even though we are part of the Association of Independent Methodist Church. If that makes sense, I, I can understand. So, what was the the United Methodist Church existed before the Independent Methodist Church? Wrong. That, that was that was my best uh, presidential inter- uh, uh, attempt at. Um, no, uh, actually, the association began before the formation of the United Methodist Church. Uh, there, at that time, back in the mid sixties, there was the Methodist Church, and then there was another group called the Evangelical United Brethren in Christ, I believe is the name of it. Um, and they, uh, so when the Association of Independent Methodists formed, that happened in the mid to late sixties. And then within the next few years, the Methodist Church at that time and the Evangelical United Brethren in Christ came together actually to, become what was the largest merger in all of church history. Uh, but that happened within a couple of years of the association forming. Interesting. So why was there a need to call it independent if there wasn't anything to be independent from in the beginning? Well, one of the things that they were um, declaring their independence, so to speak, against was uh, kind of an overbearing hierarchy that seemed to to have developed and be developing within the uh, the Methodist church. Um, there was a fear of, and, and, and I, you know, I don't like 
acting out of fear. Uh, but I do think that there was a, a sense of fear, uh, based upon where the Methodist church was going hierarchically, but also uh, doctrinally, theologically. Um, and so they were, they, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, and I wasn't around then, granted, uh, to my knowledge, they were preemptively declaring who they were doctrinally and who they were ecclesially before um, before everything that would transpire did transpire. Interesting. So yeah, we're we're recording in your living room, so there is a slight background, which I think is kind of cool. It, uh, yeah. Adam has seven kids. Got a lot of kids, and uh, it can be quite they can be quite rambunctious. Um, but so. I guess that begs the question, and I'm going to show my ignorance in exactly what Methodism is, mm-hmm. of what Methodism is. So what what doctrinal principles we abide by at Faith Methodist Church? Well, on our on our website, there's there's a page uh, who we are, and um, um, and it goes into what we believe and in. in quite a bit of detail. And there, there are a list of articles of religion of historic Methodism that John Wesley took from the Anglican church at that time, because he was an Anglican priest. Um, and as the Methodist church formed, which was not something he intended to, he intended it to simply be a, a, a kind of a renewal movement within the Anglican church. Uh, but eventually it became its own animal and he felt like, well, I, I've given birth to this thing. I have to care for it. So he took the Anglican articles of belief and distilled them down, uh, into a, an articles of belief for Methodism. And that we include that on our, on our, uh, webpage. But some of the, some of the basic, uh, doctrinal distinctives about Methodism is number one, that we're, we are evangelical by nature. Uh, we're gospel based. Uh, we believe in the authority of scripture. Um, and one of the things that's unique about the association of independent Methodists is that we are very, uh, unabashedly, um, pro inerrancy. We believe that the scriptures as, as, uh, as inspired, uh, by God are his reliably written, uh, uh, word to us and and when properly understood in their originals they can be believed in all matters um that they that they intend to affirm um we are we are not just evangelical and and gospel based as a result but also we believe in the assurance uh, that believers have that they have been adopted into God's family and that was actually one of the the biggest uh uh points of contention between Wesley and others like Whitfield of his day that um, uh, one of the most important points of division that they had doctrinally was that Wesley believed that a child of God could know he's a child of God, that he's been adopted in, that the Holy Spirit does indeed live in his heart by faith, uh, that he has been made a father, a, a son of the father. And, um, and, uh, um, and so that's one of the things that's that's unique about Methodism. We um as we, opposed to to what other um, belief? As opposed to a a hard um a hard Calvinist understanding of of uh election and uh predestination where in the end ultimately you can't really know if you're one of the elect. You won't know until really the day of judgment whether or not you are one of God's elect 
from eternity past. Um, Methodists believe that that we, while we don't have a a free will, technically speaking, because sin has marred uh, that freedom, we do have a grace-enabled will. I believe that's the phrase that Wesley used to talk about the human will post the fall, um, that God's grace is given to every man. Prevenient grace is the term he used, which is a grace that goes before, that prepares the way. Uh, God's uh, grace frees up our wills to be able to respond to him freely, to respond to his, his, uh, his offer of salvation through his son, Jesus. And so because of that grace enabled will, we have the capacity to respond to God and we have the capacity to know that we have responded to him and that our response of faith to him has, has, um, has made us his children. Does that make sense? Um, so still in a, what, what, whatever the disagreements are about free will, you're saying that there's whether it's just inherent or whether it's re-gifted in, in the form of grace, mm-hmm. there's still a voluntary choice that we have. Yes. And that voluntary choice, if we make the, I guess, the right choices to make it pretty simple, um, mm-hmm. then leads us to be able to have that relationship with God. Yeah, to have that relationship and to know that that relationship does exist, uh, to have, um, and and to give it value. That voluntary choice it gives mm-hmm. us is to give it value because if you were just forced, then that would give less value. Yes, um, yes, I, I, I don't, I don't think we can, um, biblically hold to the idea that God forces Himself on, on us. Um, there certainly there are uh, occasions in scripture, like with the apostle Paul, where, where God very clearly backs us into a corner, uh, but that does not override our volition. Um, I don't think that's in keeping with the nature of God that he would impose himself and force himself. Sometimes in my preaching, I'll say God imposes himself in the sense that he, he interferes in our lives. He, he interjects himself. And sometimes we wish he would just go away. Uh, but that's also not in keeping with his nature. He doesn't just go away. He's not. Um, uh, he's not resentful. He he's not. Um, he's not a touchy lover, is what one of my professors in seminary used to say. It's kind of reminded me of a conversation with somebody the other day who was explaining what Dungeons and Dragons was, <laughs> which was Andrew. I was going to say, is it somebody at the church? Yes. <laughs> Andrew or Jeremy? And um, <laughs> in the way that there's there's a storyline, and there's lots of of things built around the storyline by the dungeon master, which would be God, I guess. But there's still individual choices that completely change the course of the individual person's okay. like, path to the end. So that, that's, that's interesting. Is that a, that's pro- uh, a probably the most analogy? No, it's probably the most compelling uh, thing I've ever heard about Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> so I've never I, played Dungeons I, and Dragons, I mock but I'm intrigued. It way too much. I would probably enjoy it. I mock it and and act like I'm too good for that sort of nerdy stuff, even though I'm I'm pretty nerdy myself. Interesting. So yeah. a lot of this conversation started with the um or because there might be a change within the Methodist world. Yeah. Uh, coming up soon. Um, there's already the schism or schism. Mm-hmm. Schism is is how I pronounce it. Um between well there's a difference between being a, a united methodist and, and an independent methodist but things might change further for the united methodists mm-hmm. so what's happening there um before we before we get to that mm-hmm. do you mind if i if i 
go back to to a, no, uh, no. a thought that I forgot to make, uh, or a point that I forgot to make. Another doctrinal distinctive about Methodism is um, it, it's really about the um, the possibilities of what grace can do in a person's life. One of the terms that Wesley used that he liked to speak about, which he found in the New Testament, is eternal saint or not eternal uh, entire sanctification. He also used the phrase. Uh, perfect love or um or christian perfection which is which is an idea that he found in the church fathers um i believe irenaeus is one of them we were talking earlier about my my favorite saint um he's my favorite saint um so wesley was so high on uh, the possibilities of God's grace that he believed that God can actually cleanse our hearts and that in this life we can actually get to the point where we don't have a divided heart uh, for God, where we actually love him from every part of our being and where we actually freely love our neighbors as ourselves, as Jesus instructed his disciples, where we love even our enemies, which is a hard thing to do. Um, now, how Wesley talked about this entire sanctification or this entire cleansing of our hearts, uh, he talked about it in a positive and a negative way. The positive is what well, let's look at the negative first. The negative is that he is able to cleanse our hearts of sin, to remove the contamination, uh, the residuals of contamination of our hearts. It doesn't mean that we're beyond temptation. It doesn't mean that we're beyond the possibility of falling. It doesn't mean that we're, uh, that we can't sin. It means that we don't habitually day in and day out thin, uh, sin in thought, word, and deed. Where you know sin is just kind of a natural uh, and inevitable part of who we are. Um, so that's that's the the negative way of thinking about entire sanctification. Uh, but the positive element is that we are filled with the love of God, where where God's love takes up complete residence in our hearts, and we are able to naturally love God completely. And uh, where we're able naturally to love others, where our motives towards others are not mixed, they're not they're not self centered and self seeking. They're actually self giving and other oriented. Um, and Wesley believed that 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 transformation of our hearts is possible in this life. Now he did say for most Christians that that. Um, that perfection does not get realized until later on in life. Often as we are approaching death and we're, you know, kind of confronted with, uh, ultimate issues, knowing that we are going to face God. Um, but Wesley said, there's no reason to, to doubt that it could or to expect it to happen earlier in life. Um, yeah. So that's, that's and that's an important distinctive to, to make uh, about, Methodism, as opposed that I didn't to, want to forget about to those who might believe in predestination that every th- and, and and that we're inherently sinners that we'll never be anything beyond just you know a wretch that you know God's God's grace can forgive us our sins but it doesn't really cleanse us of our sins uh, that's something that maybe that that we expect to happen at death that we expect to happen in the life to come, because obviously we would think, okay, well, sin doesn't go to heaven. So what happens? Well, God does at that point, 
uh, completely cleanse us. But we can't expect that really in this life. You you often hear the uh, or see the bumper stickers on cars, uh, and I hate bumper sticker theology. You know, uh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. What you know that always raises in my mind. What do we mean by perfect? Um, and there's the other one. Next time you think you're perfect, try walking on water. Well. Jesus tells us to be perfect and he's not expecting us to walk on water. I don't think, I, I think those are, those are different uh, categories of being. So they're so catchy. Well, they are. <laughs> and that's why they make it on bumper stickers. Yeah. Um, so from somebody who has less theological background and understanding, and I'm biased cause I'm, I go to the church and I listen to you and, and uh, I tend to believe you. Uh, we were talking about that the other day. You, about I, I did hang the moon. You know that, right? <laughs> okay. It seems like if if there is if there is if you're supposed to be a certain way, that there has to be some kind of some kind of standard that's there. Um, and if we live in this world, and we're supposed to be a certain way in this world, because mm-hmm. we are, right? Yes. I mean, then you need something that you like some kind of level of perfection or standard that you sh- that you. Like, to, like an ideal? Yeah, to emulate. Yeah. If not, what are you supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. Um, okay. I, I, yes. Um, I think, I think, um, you know, Plato talked about the ideals, and I think we talked about this the other day in a private conversation. Uh, Plato emphasized the ideals, and it was, um, uh, Aristotle who emphasized the immediate or, or the, the, um, um, the here and now. And, uh, I believe it was Aquinas, Thomas Aquinas in the, uh, the medieval theologian who tried to put those two things together, that reality isn't just the ideal and, but reality isn't just the here and now. And there's no such thing as the ideals. It's reality is when the ideals and the immediate come together and I think I think Wesley does a really good job of trying to put that together. The ideal of what it means to have perfect love for God and perfect love for your neighbor, actually hitting the road of how do I how do I love my neighbor? How do I love God in the here and now? It's not an either or. There is the ideal uh, toward which we are pressing, but there's also the attainment of that ideal in some in some limited finite way here here on earth so are there uh, other things on on the list that separate methodism from not, other not, ways of thinking uh, i mean not major uh no no other major doctrinal distinctives i don't think others could maybe bring them up and we could talk about those at some point but those are those are really the ones that uh that i think are are significant to Wesley's theology, uh, being evangelical, uh, believing in the assurance of, of our faith by the inner witness of God's spirit. And then the possibilities of grace that he can entirely sanctify those he's made his children. So to go back to the conversation of the United Methodist church, um, in February, um, there's an event that could have, ramifications for i guess them and for all methodists because there's some in some way we're all connected since there's beliefs that we share um what's happening there um to my knowledge what's happening is there's been a called general conference which general conferences from to 
as I understand it, is when all of the bishops from around the world in the Methodist Church, in the United Methodist Church, come together. Um, and I believe they do that on a on a regular basis every four years. But there's there's been some issues that have been uh, that have been simmering probably since the 70s um, within the United Methodist Church that have really kind of come to a rolling boil for these uh, probably the last 10 years or so. And, um, you know, you read about it in the paper, you see it on, on the news. Um, and, you know, I, I've got a number of friends who are United Methodists. Um, some of them are older. Some of the, them are younger. Some of them live in the States. Some of them live in, outside of the States. And there are real concerns, real concerns about uh, what is Methodism, the United Methodist Church going to look like post February 2019. There are concerns for some about what's going to happen to pensions and whatnot. Somebody who's who's served as a Methodist pastor their 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 whole adult lives and they're they're seeing what they've invested in uh, crumbling or splitting or coming up with some way of trying to remain united technically, even though there's such a division. Theologically, uh, ecclesially, and culturally within the United Methodist Church, um, and I'm I'm trying to be careful in what I'm saying here. Number one, because I don't want to be I don't want to be offensive, but also number two, I don't want to um, um, be too specific because I am somebody outside of the situation who's simply eavesdropping, so to speak, on friends and what's going on there, and so I don't. I don't know all of the specific specifics. I don't know all of how things are going to play out, but everything that, that, that I've heard uh, leads me to believe that they're going to have to resolve their differences somehow. And, and that may be through a split, which they've always prided themselves on not being a split group. Well, the word but is being united. united. Yes, that, that makes sense. And, but some of the reasons why it might be even for somebody who is within it to understand all the, intricacies of differences of opinion is because it's a very big organization, right? Oh, yes. How it, big are we talking about? I wouldn't even venture to guess. I mean, I could Google it, but um, um, I don't know. I millions mean, or tens of millions? Oh, yeah. We're talking people, right? Yeah, I yeah. guess. So it's a, an international mm-hmm. group of, we're thinking millions or tens of millions as you're typing on your phone to to, to confirm that have all voluntarily come together. Mm-hmm. I I find that quite quite amazing, um, especially the uh, the voluntary the voluntary fact and the fact that there's still problems where they get together and they decide different things and and the independent Methodist obviously decided to 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 be separate, mm-hmm. all without using like the force of government. Not to get too too far down that tangent but uh mm-hmm. i found it interesting where are you able to find the uh the, the number there i'm not finding a a clean uh a quick answer that's okay we if, yeah. we, if we find it later we can go into okay. that um i guess oh there we go we've got uh yeah just under 13 million members here in the united states or worldwide no, in the united states barely under 7 million Oh wow! There are a lot of United Methodists. In fact, one of the things that uh, some have said uh, have has kept um, the United Methodist Church up to this point from really going off the cliff 
uh, biblically and culturally is what do you mean by off the cliff? Uh, off the cliff into, um, for lack of a better way to put it, theological and cultural liberalism. Okay. And I hate I hate using a politically loaded word, but I don't know how it's to describe it. Um, um. So one of the things that has one of the 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 main forces that has kept the United Methodist Church from going as far down the road uh, as some sects within uh, their denomination would have them go and have been pushing, like I said, since the seventies to get them to go has been bishops from parts of the world like Africa. Um, In fact, I I, uh, chair our uh, credentialing body in the association of independent Methodists. And one of the things that we have uh, seen a rise in is applications from majority world pastors, particularly African pastors from Liberia, Kenya, Uganda, and other parts of Africa, uh, also from Haiti and, uh, and, and other parts of the world where they're, they're seeking credentials through groups like ours because they either have held uh, credentials with the United Methodist Church and are no longer wanting to do that, uh, or they are uh, – they're affiliated with the United Methodist Church, but have not been credentialed, and they don't want to be credentialed with the United Methodist Church. Interesting. And so we've actually seen an uptick in applications from um, pastors in that type of situation. Is most of that due to uh, missionary work, or is there also just organic growth? Um, I think uh, probably an impossible question to answer. Yeah, so sorry. You're talking about for us specifically why those applications are coming in. Yeah, uh, it's probably more organic, more you know, I say organic and technological. If technology can be organic, uh, they you know obviously they're able to find out who we are by googling. I don't know why independent would come to mind, but maybe, you know, independent Methodists and you don't even realize that there is a group called the independent Methodists or the association of independent Methodists. But yeah, you can Google and, and come across our website. We've had a lot of applications from folks who've just come across our website, never heard of us, never knew we existed and find in us historic Methodism, um, the Methodism that they grew up with, but not all of the, um, not all of the, uh, the the troubles that can come with such a hierarchical group as what you have in the United Methodist Church, and so without uh, I guess vilifying, could could one argument be made maybe to just well smaller groups are potentially easier to enter. It's a, a more secure environment mm-hmm. because just because numbers. You often say that um, you you you'd never want the church to get too big. We always like having guests and all that, but you, you, you wouldn't want it to go over a certain size because it would be hard to, um, to be a shepherd for a flock that's too big. And could that be the yeah. same effect in a, in an organization? Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. You know, if, if, uh, you're looking for an organization to join with and you think a group of 40 churches is really healthy and you think that there's a group of 200 churches and they're also really healthy and you don't see any uh, point of contention um, between yourself and either one of those groups, which group do you want to join? Some might say, well, I'd rather go with a larger group because they're maybe they've got the possibilities of doing more. And others might say, hey, I want to go with the smaller group because then I can do more in and with and, and through that group because, you know, 
one out of 40 as opposed to one out of 200 is better, um, you know, better, better odds of, of having a, making a difference, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and to be clear, it's not that I would, it's not that I don't want our church to grow beyond X amount. It's once we get to the point where we can, I would like, I would rather us plant more churches, um, than just, just try to keep growing the mothership, so to speak. Yeah. I, I, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. No, no, no. You weren't. You, you actually explained it well. I just, there are some people who don't have any, who, who might listen, who don't have any, um, any background context and would think, wait a minute, he doesn't want his church to grow beyond a certain amount. What does that mean? What I would like to do is to grow to the point where we can actually plant more churches, um, uh, it, even, even in our community, you know, I say in our community, in Metro Atlanta, our community is enormous. Um, uh, but yeah, I would rather have two churches that are within 10 miles of each other that are able to keep, um, keep ministry more localized and keep ministry more, um, uh, and, and also keep the, the sense of family that's within the body higher than if, you know, we were to just get hundreds and hundreds and let's press on to thousands because obviously you start to lose that sense of, of family, uh, which so many of our folks and so many of the folks that, that we've reached, uh, as a result of being a small church have said that they actually value in our church that, you know, when they're, when they're sick, they know people are praying for them because people have noticed and people reach out to them and things like that. Yeah. it's. it's I think it's an important, it's probably one of my favorite things. Not that a big church can't have, the same thing. Yeah. But you, you expressed that early on, and I might not have known the whole background, but mm-hmm. it, it intrigued me. And later on, as I was analyzing and making sure that you were consistent, the way you talk about relationships and so forth, it kind of fed into that, because uh, I would think it would be harder to have that level of relationship in a, in a big church for everybody. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, some people would... Um, would not benefit as much. I think if I was in a bigger church, I would have a hard time finding what I find at Faith Methodist Church, especially because I'm, I mean, the more shy people and the people mm-hmm. on the outskirts or, or the new people, I think it would be harder for them. And, and one of the things that uh, was so important to Wesley is if, if grace is, if grace is going to, um, if the potential that grace has is going to become reality in our lives, then we're it's, it's going to happen in the context of relationships. And so one of the things that Wesley emphasized was what we would call accountability. Uh, some, some would call small groups, but Wesley's way of doing small groups was not, Hey, let's pick a book and, and kind of talk together and that sort of thing. And it, I mean, he was, he was radical in his ideas about, how we are to share life together and how we are to push one another further, further up and further in. Um, and, um, and so accountability was key if a person is to grow in grace and, and have more of his life uncovered to him so that he can place it on the altar of God's healing and cleansing work. So what does that look like at faith? Uh, we don't do it as well as, as I would like. And I, you know, there's always the tension of, okay, how much further up toward the ideal can you get? So I guess you could probably say it in, in any context, we don't do it as well as we would like. Um, but one of the things that we do try to do is we try to, um, we try to, um, 
to organize and promote intentional ways of, of sharing life together and, and entering into small groups. And so, you know, we'll have book studies and things like that, that, that form on a, on a, um, uh, on a periodic basis. Uh, sometimes we've been better at having those starting and starting and going, um, in a more, in a more, um, regular base. Uh, yeah. On a more regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, we, you know, we currently have like theology Thursdays, uh, to, to try to have guys get together and girls get together to, to read together, to talk together, to talk about life and, and open up a little bit more together. But so we, we do try to promote, uh, some, some organized ways of, of sharing life and, and, and living in close community with one another. But we, we, I'm constantly preaching organic small group. You know, one of the things that I often, that I often try to communicate is if you don't have a Christian friend that you can talk to on a regular basis that knows what's going on in your life, that knows when you're down, that knows when you're up, that knows, you know, how to be praying for you in a specific way, then you're missing out. You're missing out. And also you're not, uh, your, your, your possibilities of growing beyond where you are are going to be greatly limited. We need close relationships. So you're bringing people there with your sermon and just putting them in close proximity and hoping that stuff happens, hoping that magic happens and hoping that, uh, you know, folks don't, as soon as the service ends, run off and leave. But I, I, one of the most fulfilling feelings that I have as a pastor, and sometimes it's, huge and obvious and then other times it's it's not so obvious is when everyone's kind of lingering around afterwards now we're in a non-traditional setting we meet in a high school we meet in a a band room that we magically transform from being a band room that's all fluorescent lit to something that's nice and cozy and intimate um um and so there's a lot of setup and a lot of teardown and all that sort of stuff that goes into it um but one of the things that I love is when we're running a bit late to get everything torn down because people are standing around and talking and enjoying another cup of coffee and visiting. I, I like that. I like leaving the church late and thinking I'm starving to death. I've got to get somewhere and eat fast because folks have been visiting and talking and making plans for the week together. Very I cool. think it's important. Um, and it's hard to – you can't force that. You know, you can't force friendships. When you do, things get really weird. <laughs> like, golly, he keeps calling me. Um, there are some people at our church that are good at that and keeping people accountable and so forth uh, to to come on a Sunday, even though they might be feeling un- under the weather or something. Yeah, um, you're you're quite good at just keeping up with people when they've when when, when they've shown interest in in things, encouraging them and so forth. Um, yeah, I know I get a text from you every so often. I'd be like, hey, that, how, how, how are you doing? Are you coming to Theology Thursday? Yeah. It, it, somebody actually commented about that uh, just this past week. They commented that they were surprised at at my willingness and availability to reach out and to follow up on conversations that we've had and ask, hey, how's how's this going? Um, and they, they meant this I'm obviously using improper grammar by referring to a plural. It was a single person, but I don't want to say whether it was a guy or a gal. Um, Nobody so would have known you were using improper grammar. Well, I would have known, and it drives me crazy to not point it out. Uh, so they, he or she, in this scenario, said that they, he or she, here, uh, was surprised 
at my interests and surprised at my reaching out. And, um, and one of the comments that came to my mind was, that's one of the benefits of being part of a small church. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think, I mean, you definitely couldn't do that if we were, if we were big yeah, to, I, to that extent, I, because I you are a full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in a larger church, I know that they've got structures set up where uh, small group systems and things like that, where people, if they, if they make themselves uh, available to it, have the possibility of being in touch with people who can pastor and shepherd them. But the senior pastor, I mean, his, he's, He's basically preaching, and um, he 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 is pastoring leaders within his church, but he's not pastoring the whole flock. And, and, and they can and, do a great and, job at that, but sometimes oh, yeah. you do need a little extra nudge from a Adam yeah. or a or a David who's very yeah. good at that too. And, and and you know, it could be that part of my personality is I can't, yeah I can't I can't do the CEO thing. I I I, I like being a pastor who's down in the pasture with his sheep. And, um, um, and I, I say that metaphorically, not literally. And, and, uh, I am always joking with, with our folks that I'm not calling you sheep, although I know I'm calling you sheep. Um, but yeah, I like living. I like, I don't want to just be the owner of the farm, so to speak. I want to be the farmer who's out doing the work and who's getting his hands dirty. And sometimes that's hard, you know? Uh, it's hard and it's exhausting, but it's also very fulfilling. And I think it's it's how God has wired me, and and I think it's what He's called me to be a part of. Interesting. So I didn't know that it was going to go in this direction, but yeah. I like that how we found a very non-vilifying way to just show how there's non-vilifying the, all of that. The the advantages of um, being smaller can appeal to uh, to certain people. Is that um, spread throughout the Independent Methodist Church because they tend to be smaller churches or they, not? They do tend to be smaller churches, although we do have uh, a few churches that, that have, you know, several hundred people or, or at least uh, a few hundred people. Um, and, and interestingly enough, even, even at that level, when a, when a, when a guy's pastoring 300, 300, 400 people, um, that's actually, Far more doable than uh, than one might think. When, I mean, I hear three, four hundred people. I think, how could I know everyone? But I know these pastors, and I, they do know everyone. I think it was Rick Warren who you know pastors twenty something thousand people over in in South California. I think he mentioned that he made it a point to memorize the names, learn the names of every person that came through the doors uh, that became a regular. And he, and he was able to do that up until it may have been like 2000 people that when they walked in, he was able to greet them and he knew their name. He knew their spouse's name. And I was blown away. Um, I was blown away by that. So you can, uh, you can really pastor a pretty large number of people. Um, but there's, there's always going to come a point where you're no longer pastoring per se and instead are just you're you're overseeing pastoral work the simple idea of knowing two thousand people's names is very overwhelming to me it is so we're going to skip past that it is. um you talked about the doctrinal differences and i guess these are kind of some of the practical differences of mm-hmm. our our specific church or differences just our our qualities i guess we don't have to compare is is, is there anything else pra- practically that 
stands out from faith or well that because people wouldn't necessarily know what the day-to-day or the sunday to sunday environment is like yeah um you know wesley had very specific ways of doing ministry and very specific ways of um of measuring measuring and eva- measuring what it means to be a disciple and evaluating whether or not discipleship is happening um for wesley if you're going if you're serious about discipleship you've got to be part of a small group and and i know that's a very loaded term now cuz everybody talks about small groups you can make the case that you know sunday schools are small groups and things like that but for wesley however it's done and he did have a system of doing it but however it's done you've he got had a method Oh yes, Sorry. that's why. It's a bad pun. That's why they the 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 name Methodist uh, stuck. It was actually a term of derision, much like the term Christian was in the in the New Testament and in the early church. Um, it was a a term of derision. Oh, these Methodists! They think that they can, you know, come up with with methods of how to grow in grace and whatnot. And uh, so at first Wesley referred to the, to, to this society as, or these societies as the people called Methodists. And eventually he just dropped that and said, okay, we're Methodists. Fine. It is what we are. Um, it is what it is. But uh, so he, yeah, he, he believed that, that discipleship, discipleship needs to be done in genuine relationships in in small groups that it needs to be done in um uh in proximity to other disciples um but he also emphasized hands-on personal compassionate ministry um he took very seriously Jesus's call to to uh to be um to 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 be a means of his grace is my way of putting it uh, to quote the least of these, um, to, to do, to do good for the poor, to, to care for the sick, to visit, uh, those who are imprisoned. Um, you know, Wesley was a, was a big believer in ministering to those, uh, who are often forgotten by those in power in the world and in, in, in a culture. And so he was a big believer in doing good for, for others and, and helping those that are less fortunate, whether it's financially less fortunate or just the circumstances of life, less, less fortunate, you know, ill health and imprisonment, things, things of that nature. Um, but he also, he also, uh, emphasized and, and Methodists as a result emphasize, um, you know, intentional methods of growing in grace, um, methods, intentional methods uh to help us grow in grace in the way of learning in the way of worshiping uh in the way of of accountability which we've already talked about and in generosity uh that if we are to grow in the grace of God we have to um you know if you I I I periodically will mention if you want to if you want to get clean you got to get it into the bathtub you know there are, there are there are things that God has given to us to intentionally um, or that enable us to intentionally get to where uh, we can be in a position for God to do greater works in our hearts and in our lives, and and as a result through our lives as well. And so Wesley took very seriously this idea that uh, we have to be intentional uh, about um, about our worship, about about our 
are are learning more about God and about Christ, um, and uh, in in how that produces fruit in our lives, the fruit of generosity and the, the fruit of of uh, doing good to others. Very cool. So through like volunteering and yeah, but volunteering on a regular basis, people yeah. and, and yeah. uh, doing that through the church. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know, for Wesley's world, life was so much different back in the 1700s uh, in in England uh, than than the world that we inhabit. But there are still very real, tangible ways that we can uh, that we can do good for for those that uh, that are in need of. Um, in need of help, but but more specifically, also in need of a reminder that people do care, and most importantly, that Jesus cares. That um, they're not forgotten. That uh, and especially you know, thanks Thanksgiving's this week, and Christmas is coming up, and there's all sorts of busyness that comes as a result of that. Um, and but at the same time, there's also a lot of um, compassionate uh, ministry that's done in this this annual context and um um a lot of generosity that you see whether it's bell ringers and people dropping money in the salvation army cans uh outside of kroger or belk or wherever it is um and uh people you know volunteering more for soup kitchens and you know that sort of thing well i don't know if i have any other questions anything else on your mind about the subjects and the tangents we've kind of gone on um not uh, no, I don't think so. You know, maybe maybe one last thought uh, would be, you know, if if you're listening to this and you um, you're in the Marietta community and you're wondering what happened, uh, what happened to um, what happened to the Methodist Church I grew up in, or what you know, is, is there a group that that's uh, a smaller church that's that's very serious about. Um, being involved in ministry uh, that's very serious about trying to build relationships with, with one another. And as a result to, uh, to do more good in the world, if that's the sort of thing you're looking for, you know, here we are faith Methodist church. We're meeting at Harrison high school and check us out on the, on the interwebs, faithmethodchurch.org. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we are trying to take very seriously, um, uh, the the idea and reality that we are Methodists and that that does affect who we are and what we do. Um, but m- more importantly than that, even is that we are t- trying to take very seriously the the idea and reality that we are disciples of Jesus and we're trying to be involved in the things that He was involved in, and obviously in the calling of disciples and in having the inner ring of uh, Peter, James, and John. He took very seriously the 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 need that humans have for close, intimate relationships. But he also took very seriously the need that humans have to give themselves away and to serve others. Um, you know, what you didn't do to the least of these, you did not do for me. I like that. I've definitely enjoyed having one of our conversations on the podcast instead of just on your couch in the living room. Um, I, I, I don't know if I was the best person to, uh, to use to, as a springboard, but I'm, I'm grateful that you asked me to do it. Uh, well, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation and um, who knows, it might lead to many more. I think, it, I think these are important 
conversation. I think ideas are always important and, uh, ideas have consequences and I want to have the very best ideas to, in order to have the very best consequences. And one of those consequences is maybe just having a podcast that people can listen to and think through some pretty important thoughts about what it is to be a disciple. I like where your mind is at. Hopefully there'll be more of these and, uh, thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Banks. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please check out our website at faithmethodistchurch.org.